Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranick, a TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and host of the program. This is episode 18. It is the final episode before the NBA All-Star break. And uh, this programming note, normally the show drops on Mondays and Thursdays. There will not be a show next Monday because, well, we're on All-Star break. So I'll be back in a week with uh, the latest edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, which today is being brought to you by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal is to help youngsters understand the importance of working hard to be the best they can be on the court, in the classroom, and in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, families, local high schools, and youth sports programs. And before we get to the program today, which will feature as per usual, that was the week that was, and PD's Points. We'll also have an edition of NBA Storytime and our friend of the program today, John Hollinger, former writer for ESPN and former executive in the Grizzlies front office, currently writing for The Athletic. He will be our friend of the program today. Had a good chat with him, and part one of that conversation will follow later on in the program. For those of you who have been avid listeners and have been downloading and or subscribing to the podcast, we do appreciate your support. I would ask if you are so inclined to please leave a rating and or a review. That information is very important to us at the Basketball Podcast Network. We'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave a rating if you would be so inclined. Also, if you have anything that you want to tell me about the podcast, whether you like it or something you might want changed or something added to it, you can hit me up at my Twitter handle, which is at Pete Pranica. All right, with that being said, let's get to That Was the Week That Was. Only one game since our last visit, and the Grizzlies wrapping up their two-game road trip in Washington to take on the Wizards. Ball game here was essentially decided in the second quarter in which the Grizzlies, after leading by two through one quarter, outscored the Wizards 36-23 in the second quarter. It was all about Washington turnovers, Grizzlies forced 22 for the game, leading to 32 Memphis points. And so the Grizzlies win the basketball game despite being outshot slightly by 50.6% to 49.5%. Grizzlies did make 13 threes on 29 tries for 45%, so well above their seasonal average in terms of three-point percentage. Grizzlies got a great effort from John Morant. You might remember that last season he went for a triple-double, his first career triple-double in Washington, finished with 35 points and 10 assists, A very efficient night, 11 of 18 from the floor. Got to the free throw line 14 times, which is a really good sign for the Grizzlies offense. We'll have more on that when we get to Petey's points later on in the program. Grizzlies defense, despite the fact that they gave up 51% shooting, actually was not all that bad. Uh, The fact that they came up with a total of 15 steals and forced 22 turnovers certainly is a positive there. Uh, One of the things that, uh, again, was highlighted for the Grizzlies, they held Bradley Beal, the league's leading scorer, to just 23 points or 10 below his average. Russell Westbrook had a decent scoring game for him, 23 points, also had 15 assists, three steals, but he did have eight turnovers in the course of the game. Grizzlies got a great bench effort from DeAnthony Melton. He set a new career high with six triples made in the game, finished with 20 points for the second time this season. He's now hidden double figures for each of the last three games. Kyle Anderson did not play, was suffering from an illness, so he was inactive for the game. So Brandon Clark got the start. He chipped in 14. Dylan Brooks with 20. And John Morant with the aforementioned 35 points for the Memphis Grizzlies. So the Grizzlies win it 125-111 to over the Washington Wizards. 
Wizards had won 7 of 9, but the Grizzlies take them down. Grizzlies 16 and 15 after this game. Wizards fall to 13 and 20. Wizards have the Clippers before the All-Star break, and the Grizzlies will have the Milwaukee Bucks on Thursday night before they break for the All-Star break. And that was that was the week that was. And now on to Petey's points. Even though the Grizzlies did give up 51% shooting to the Washington Wizards, I get a sense that their defensive effort is more consistent. Their defensive effort in January was great. They were the top defensive team in the NBA, and as a result, the Grizzlies won 7 of 10 games in the month of January. Grizzlies struggled in February. No surprise, their scoring was up, but their defense was was way off. And if the Grizzlies are to make the play-in scenario for seeds 7 through 10, they're going to have to have consistent defensive effort. And what was good about the game against the Wizards, they did not have Kyle Anderson, who I would imagine is probably one of their more valued defensive players, one of their better deflectors, one of their better disruptors, one of the best stealers of the basketball that the Grizzlies have. And the fact that they did not have them, did not have him, I should say, and were still able to turn in a pretty good defensive effort speaks very, very well for this Grizzlies team. So getting a consistent defensive effort is going to be the most important thing in my mind, for the Grizzlies in the second half of the season. Petey's point number two, no Grizzly will be going to Atlanta for the All-Star weekend. Uh, no All-Stars named, obviously. Nobody in the three-point shootout, nobody in the slam dunk contest. The Rising Stars game, which features the first and sec- the best first- and second-year players in the NBA, will not be played this year. However, the league did pull the league assistant coaches to get The two teams, Team USA and Team World, Brandon Clark will be a member of Team World for a second consecutive year, and John Morant will be a member of Team USA for a second consecutive year. It's nice that they they named them. It would have been nice if Desmond Bain had made it, but there are a lot of good rookies out there right now. And so it's nice. The game will not be played, but it's nice to know that had the game been played, they would have been involved in it. The other thing I want to get to is John Morant's Offensive evolution continues, which is a good thing for the Grizzlies. Obviously, it's spectacular when he goes to the rack. It's spectacular when he tries to dunk on somebody's head. It's spectacular with some of the moves that he makes when he gets all the way to the rim. That's true. That's exciting. We enjoy it. He's extremely gifted in that fashion, but he's starting to modify his offensive game a little bit in that he doesn't feel the need to go to the rim every single time. And we saw it with great effect in the Washington game where he can be more involved in a floater game, a little bit like a Tyus Jones, so that he doesn't have to absorb the body contact. John was getting frustrated over the last handful of games, got kicked out of a game with a couple of technical fouls for non-calls because he goes so hard to the rim. And there may be contact, there may not be contact. If there is contact, contact is it marginal? Will it draw a whistle? You don't know. You may end up missing the basket anyway. So this just gives him another weapon in his quiver to attack the defense. And all defenses right now are being designed to get the ball out of John Moran's hands and to keep him away from the rim. So anything that he can do to expand his offensive game is going to be a good thing. And we started to see that probably in greatest relief in the Wizards game. Hopefully it will continue. If he can continue to do that, I mean, look, he shot 11 of 18. Second time this season, he shot better than 60% in an individual game. The only game in which he shot better was the opener against San Antonio, where he shot 67%. Of course, went off for a career-high 44. Final Petey's point, and this is about the Lloyd Pierce dismissal in Atlanta. 
I do have to say, in the interest of full disclosure, I know Lloyd Pierce. He was with the Grizzlies. Um, we're, we're friends on social media. I have great respect for him. Really hated to see him leave Memphis. Came to Memphis with the reputation of being a very good player development coach and certainly fulfilled that when he was with the Grizzlies. Then goes to Philadelphia to work with Brett Brown was there as, as the Sixers started their rise to prominence, and then goes on to Atlanta to get a head coaching job. Atlanta this year, they, they've not been horrible. They've been underperforming by at least the standard of their owner and their front office. Part of that, well, they've been injured. Danilo Gallinari has missed a lot of games. Rajon Rondo has missed a lot of games. And so your prize acquisitions in the offseason really have not panned out. Now, the reporting is that Lloyd Pierce had basically lost the locker room. He had lost Trey Young. Trey Young is a very strong-minded individual. They did not apparently see eye-to-eye. Trey Young felt that his concerns were not being heard by Lloyd Pierce. John Collins also felt that his concerns were not being heard by Lloyd Pierce and that there was a disconnect. It's unfortunate that it got to this point. One of the things that was being reported by The Athletic was that Lloyd Pierce was having a hard time dealing with the egos of NBA players. And that is one of the chief things that an NBA coach, NBA head coach has to do these days. He has to be able to manage the egos, has to deal with the egos of the individual players, get them to buy in into the team concept and into fulfilling their roles. It's one of the things that Taylor Jenkins has done a brilliant job with, with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, This is a team in the Memphis Grizzlies that is very, very much together. The Atlanta Hawks, apparently not so much. Is this true that Lloyd Pierce lost the room? That might have been part of it. The wins and losses might have been a part of it. There have been some coaching decisions that have come under scrutiny. That might have been a part of it as well. In any event, I I feel badly for Lloyd because he's a good man who was put into a bad situation and, and things did not turn out well. But Lloyd Pierce has taken the high road, will continue to take the high road, and I hope that he gets another opportunity to prove himself as a head coach in the NBA. Uh, I will talk more about the Lloyd Pierce dismissal with John Hollinger when we get to our friend of the program segment. But that does it for Petey's Points for episode 18 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. And we move on now to NBA story time. This is the story of a technical foul that was and then was not regarding Mike Conley. Everybody in Memphis remembers Mike Conley with great fondness. Mike is one of the classiest people I have ever been around, regardless of walk of life, regardless of the fact that he was an NBA player, uh, regardless of, of his celebrity in the Memphis area. He has always comported himself with the most class you could possibly imagine in every single situation. He takes every photograph. He signs every autograph. He is, he is there and, uh, and is very, very willing and, and does it with a happy heart. But as we all know, the Mike Conley is a little on the quiet side. And, and the story of Mike Conley's only technical uh, when he was with the Grizzlies, which actually wasn't a technical, technical is essentially this. Uh, just by way of background, uh, I am on the NBA Officiating Advisory Council, which is headed up not only by Byron Spruell in the league office, but also by Monty McCutcheon, who uh, heads up referee training and development for the NBA. And Monty was telling me the story one during one of these meetings that 
there was a game, and it might have been an Oklahoma City game. I don't remember exactly which game it was, but it was getting chippy. It was getting physical. A lot of chirping back and forth. And Monty McCutcheon, who, as an NBA referee, had a fairly long leash. You could say a lot of things, and Monty was not quick to tee anybody up. But he had had enough on this particular night. And he had said to both benches, and he had said to both coaches, and he had said to all the players on the court, he said, I am done. I do not want to hear another word out of anybody. Next person who speaks up, gets hit with a tech. Apparently, Mike Conley did not hear that or or did not heed it for whatever reason and walked up to Monty and said, hey, Monty. And Monty McCutcheon, without thinking, whirled around, blew his whistle, teed up Mike Conley. And then Monty McCutcheon realized what he had done. It was was a well-known fact that Mike never had gotten a technical. And here was Monty McCutcheon, one of the league's most respected officials, giving him a technical file that was clearly not merited. And uh, so Monty McCutcheon, after the game, well, he apologized to Mike. And then, but, but you can't take away a technical. Once you call it, you can't just rescind it out of thin air. Uh, but after the game, Monty went back and he wrote his report, as, uh, as all referees do, and uh, basically told the league office, please rescind the technical on Mike Conley. It was not warranted. So Mike Conley was called for a technical, but uh, it was ultimately rescinded. So uh, that is uh, our NBA story time for today. Mike Conley and the technical that was not. And a reminder that the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by Garner Framing Company of Memphis. And they ask if there was one bold thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you make it? If that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today. Don't delay. Join the movement and become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. Framing consultations in this era of COVID are being done by appointment. So if you want an appointment to get your piece framed, call 901-685-7796. Tell them Pete sent you. Uh, Chris Garner, great guy, big fan of the Grizzlies, and a wonderful craftsman when it comes to framing your priceless works of art or whatever it may be. It may be a Grizzlies jersey, for all we know, and he's done more than a few of those. So uh, check out Garner Framing Company, and we appreciate their support of the Grizzlies Mentoring Program. Well, that brings us to today's friend of the program. John Hollinger rose to prominence as a writer for ESPN.com with his uh, player efficiency rating and uh, then decided, when offered, to join the Memphis Grizzlies front office and to work in basketball operations, which he did for a handful of years. And he has since transitioned back into the media realm and is now an NBA writer for The Athletic. Earlier today, I got a chance to catch up with uh, John and talk about the Lloyd Pierce dismissal, the effects of COVID on his job in the NBA, and a whole bunch of other topics. Here's part one of our conversation. Today's friend of the program, John Hollinger. John, so the obvious first question for you is you are having a successful run at ESPN. Mm-hmm. The PER rating, all right? Everybody knows John Hollinger and, and, and what, what you do at ESPN. And you make the move to go to work for a team in the Memphis Grizzlies. What was enticing about the opportunity to work for a team as opposed to just being able to write about the entire league and, and college basketball? Yeah, um, I thought it was really exciting to do something 
different and to test myself in a way uh, that that you can't when you're just on the outside kind of shooting spitballs. Um, so that that to me was was really enticing. Uh, and then I think actually coming back to the media side, having had that experience has made me a much better and more knowledgeable writer as well. Um, so it's been advantageous even, even now stepping back into this arena. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. In, in what ways are you maybe a, a better NBA writer because you were in a front office and saw, so to speak, how the sausage was made? Yeah, well, exactly. And I can describe that for people. And then I can explain some of the logic that teams might be thinking about that I think on the outside, people may not always consider um, and just, you know, having been the pro through the processes of like being through, being through a draft room, you know, being through the free agency process, uh, from the inside, I think I can describe things to people because of that, that uh, trades are the same thing. Uh, you know, I can outline that for people in a way that maybe I couldn't before. Yeah. Without spilling any trade secrets, what is something about an NBA front office that the casual fan would not understand that maybe they need to understand? Well, there's a lot of things, but I one of the biggest is that as as much as the NBA projects to the world as this huge enterprise, in a lot of ways, it's 30 mom and pop shops. And within any individual front office, there aren't that many people and they're all having to wear a lot of different hats at different times. And uh, which is good. You get experience doing a lot of, a lot of different things. Uh, at, at the same time, I think it's very different from how people imagine it on, on some levels. How have you been able to manage your job writing about the NBA and writing about college basketball and draft prospects in the midst of COVID? How, how is, how has that worked out for you? Well, there's a lot of video, obviously. Um, yeah, I've, I've not been to a game this year. Uh, I, um, I don't really get anything out of going to a game, even if I could go at this point, because the most valuable part for, uh, on the media side, at least for what I do is that time before the game, uh, that 90 minutes to two hours when you can talk to assistant coaches and visiting scouts and other people around the league, and you can watch players, maybe players who aren't playing that much from very close up, see how they shoot, see how they work, uh, and, and just really get a, get a much better and deeper feel for uh, the players and teams that you're around. And it's, it's not the same thing doing that from the top of the 100 level. Like there's, there's not really an advantage to being there versus being on, on TV 90% of the time, unless something crazy happens during a commercial break. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so for that reason, it's been, you know, it's been easier to see. I can, I can watch a lot more games from home is the advantage uh, if, if there's not any time given to travel. So I've, I've been able to stay probably more, current on a lot on a lot of different teams and a lot of different players than maybe it was possible if I was traveling more. So that's the silver lining to it. Gotcha. How many screens do you have at home? How many screens do you have going at, at any one time? Uh, so my maximum is three. Uh, I, I, be, beyond that, it's, it's just overkill. You're not going to keep track of it anyway. So, so, but three, I can pretty much do like one in the center and two on either side. I can pull that off. <laughs> 
our friend of the program today. And, is and then, John- of course, you got the phone for the tweets. Of course, you got the phone <laughs> for the tweets. Yes. Uh, our friend of the program today is John Hollinger, former basketball executive for the Grizzlies, former writer for ESPN, currently writing for The Athletic. And if you do not have a subscription, I strongly suggest that you get one. John, give us your Twitter handle so people can follow you if, if they are not yet following you on Twitter. At John Hollinger. It's super very, complicated. It's very, it's very, very, very simple. Do you miss the travel? Because one of the things that we find as broadcasters not being able to go to the venues, we do miss the contact with our colleagues, with assistant coaches, other players. Yeah. Do, you, do you miss that as well? Do you, are you kind of jonesing to, to get a boarding pass in your hand? Yeah, no, I, I kind of am. So, so people who don't know me, who don't know me outside of basketball, you know, I'm also kind of a travel junkie too. So which that, that really uh, dovetailed well with, with my job responsibilities actually. Uh, so, so I do miss that part. I haven't been on a plane in a year. Uh, so uh, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to get, to actually getting back on the road. And yeah, it's the human connection and all the people you see. And But I, I also just like traveling. Un- unlike you, I don't have a particular desire to operate the plane myself, but uh, I, I do enjoy traveling. Yes. We, we definitely miss that. And then there's got to be an impact then on European scouting as well, because I know that, that you would go uh, to Europe quite frequently too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I would go, when I was with the Grizzlies, I would go twice most years uh, to Europe to, to look at players and that's going to make it really interesting for the draft this year. There are several good European players in this year's draft and nobody's going to be able to see them in person, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's harder, too, because the video quality from some of these games uh, is not, say, as heavily produced as, as the stuff we get over here. Um, some of it's pretty good, uh, especially from the, from the biggest leagues, and some of it is quite bad. And so you, you, uh, it, it's, it's harder because of that. And I think especially with these European guys, you, you want to go overseas. You want to see them in practice. You want to kind of get your hands on – on kind of what they're like and, and get, get a feel for that. You're probably not going to be able to work out these guys ahead of the draft even, which, which you, I'm guessing you will be able to do for the NBA guys this year. Um, you know, especially as late as the draft is going to be. And so there's going to be just a lot less information for teams to make these decisions on. And a lot more is going to hinge on contacts and relationships that teams had prior to all this stuff happening uh, and what information they can get from that. How well has the NBA handled the pandemic given of, you know, the desire to play in market games and to play as many as possible? I, I think by and large, they've done well. Are there things that you think maybe they should have done better or should have? Yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll go B plus to a minus. I think by and large, they've done well. I think they reacted on the fly in a pretty strong and and helpful way to a situation that was threatening to get out of control um, by moving to, to a standard where they were just immediately shut down teams once they, once they got a positive. And so they wouldn't let infections spread through the league. I thought that was a really important step. I thought the thing they could have done better was set up the schedule in such a way that there, there was less kind of ability for, something to quickly spread from team to team to team. Uh, if there had been more multi-game series, more uh, much heavier divisional schedule and not having teams fly all hither and yon, that I didn't think there was any reason to have every team play other, every other team home and away in a 72-game schedule where you, you have zero to very few fans in the building in the first place. So it's not like they're getting 
you know, fans in Charlotte or whatever are getting deprived of their one chance to see LeBron. Well, they, they weren't seeing him anyway, right? They're, they can't get in the building. So uh, I, I thought that was a misstep. I thought otherwise they've done a great job. Let's get to some kind of current news as the Grizzlies get ready to take on the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, the Bucks are 21 and 14. They just got blown out by Denver last night. And some people are saying, what's wrong with the Bucks? Uh, is there really anything wrong with the Bucks, Or is this just, look, we're going to get through the regular season and we, and we need to get ourselves ready for the playoffs where they have not succeeded to uh, yeah. their expectations? I think the biggest thing you're seeing with Milwaukee is that they're experimenting with a lot more things, especially on the defensive end to get themselves ready for the playoffs rather than just playing one system the whole year and maximizing regular season wins, right? They, they tried that the last two years and they saw the pitfalls of it when they didn't have a great plan B in the playoffs. And so you're, you're seeing them mix and match a lot more. They're doing, you know, more switching, more stuff with Giannis at five. And I, I think it's just going to, they actually revamp some of how they play on the offensive end too, putting a guy in the dunker spot, which they didn't used to do. And so, I think because of that, it's going to take a little more time for them to play at their peak level every night. But I also think it's the thing that makes them the most adaptable for a playoff series. And that's been their stumbling block the last two years. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Now Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta and, and we got to know Lloyd when he was in Memphis, yep. uh, let go in Atlanta. Uh, you know, some great reporting done by your colleagues at, at the athletic about how he lost the team. Trey young, wasn't a fan. John Collins, wasn't a fan by the same token. They had put together a roster that was injured a good portion of this year. Uh, is, is it as simple as Lloyd lost the team or was there more to it? Uh, I think there's something to that. I think there, I, I also think there wasn't like, usually when you're do when you're making a change like that at mid season, especially if the team hasn't been a complete tire fire, which they haven't, I mean, they were like 15 and nine, 14 and 20, I'm sorry, with a neutral point differential. Right. And so usually when something like that happens, it was because there wasn't a hundred percent faith in the guy from above to begin with. And, and I think that's, that's really the, the original sin there. Like, the thing I wrote about in the athletic was that usually when you see a midseason change like this, it's because they should have done it in the off season. If that's, if that was how they felt. Um, and I thought that was really the case here. So we'll see. I mean, there's definitely some talent there, especially if they can get to full strength. Um, th there's also some, like some of some of the stuff with with between Trey Young and John Collins in particular, I'm, I'm not sure if that comes down to the coaches. <laughs> so you know, we, let's just put it that way. So we got well, we'll we'll see how this all works out. And our thanks to John Hollinger for visiting with us as our friend of the program. That's part one of our conversation. Part two will come up in episode 19. John and I talk about analytics and marrying numbers to the eye test in evaluating NBA teams and how they want to play. I also ask John what numbers he thinks are most important when you look at analytics and statistics in evaluating the performance of a basketball team. So that's coming up in episode 19, which will be dropping in about a week. Grizzlies will start the second half of the season on March the 10th. Of course, they wrap up the first half on March 4th when they take on the Milwaukee Bucks, and then the Grizzlies 
will be off for the All-Star break. They will come back with a two-game homestand at, uh, at home to Washington on Wednesday, March 10th, and then at home to Denver, the first meeting between those two teams on Friday, March 12th. Grizzlies then a back-to-back at Oklahoma City on the 14th, then at Phoenix on the 15th. Grizzlies will start a four-game homestand on St. Patrick's Day against Miami, then back-to-back with the Warriors on the 19th and 20th of March, and then home to the Celtics on the 22nd. Grizzlies, because of six postponements in the first half, only one of which was made up, will have a very heavy schedule, 40 games in 68 days, 11 sets of back-to-backs. It will really and truly be a grind for the boys in Beale Street Blue. That does it for this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. This has been Episode 18, and it has been brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community, and their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Braddock, and thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.